are live from the Empire of Lies and celebrating Victory Day here on the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and it's a Carmine Monday. Guest co-host Carmine Sabi is joining us today on The Backstory. Okay, we'll have Carmine joining us in the second hour. And we'll be talking to two guests today. Our producer, Rod from Philly, put together a great show. First-time guest from France, war correspondent and geopolitical analyst Elijah Monnier in the first hour. And then in the second hour, who are we going to say in our rod? John Kiriakou. John Kiriakou. Yeah, I knew someone I knew, but I just based <laughs> on that. But John Kiriakou and Carmine Sabia in the second hour here on The Backstory. And I think what we'll do is we have a couple of clips, but we'll save them for Elijah, I think. And look at the hear the geniuses we have on the Republican and Democrat side about the war. We're going to be playing clips from Lindsey Graham and Hillary Clinton showing they're idiots, absolute idiots, who know nothing about what's going on in the war and think nothing of lying to the American people about it. And in the case of Hillary Clinton, they're crazed. So I got to admit, and people will hear it, Lindsey Graham sounded like an idiot, but Hillary Clinton sounded like a rabbit idiot. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, people will hear in the clip, she starts yelling, gets really loud. She's, you know, she thinks she's, the louder she gets, the better her point gets across, but she just gets more annoying and more obnoxious. So she still hasn't, she still hasn't gotten that after all these years in, in the media and in prominence. She saw Elizabeth Warren on the streets, and she said, whatever she's having, I'll do. It's, it's nutty, hysterical, lady, Democrat, angry woman pills. And you'll hear it. I'm not making that up. Now, uh, of course, it is Victory Day. And do you know one thing, Rod, I've noticed? Let me say again, everybody should be listening to this show. And if your friends want to get informed about the war and get the truth, and people can say, well, you don't want Trust Russians a station funded by Russia, although Russia has nothing to do with our content. I should point out that we are completely free, and we, Rod and I put together a show every day. Did you get a call from Moscow this morning, Rod? No, that that I, I didn't get my uh, Moscow phone. You know, it blows up every time I get a phone call. So you know, no, I didn't. I didn't get that call today. But, however, whatever you say about Russian-funded media, and I think Russian-funded media is awesome. I think we got a very good track record on Russian-funded media of getting big stories right, like the Hunter Biden laptop story, like RussiaGate. Uh, you know, a lot of things about COVID-19. We were ahead of the curve. 
And we got it right when other sources got it wrong. The Democrat-aligned media got it wrong. But aside from us getting stuff right, really, the American media gets stuff so wrong. And let me talk about Victory Day. Now, what they did, Rod, here's a trick. Figure this one out. So if I keep, if I say, if I say, for instance, if I'm reporting the Rod from Philly News about you, the producer, and I say, Rod's planning to wear a tutu to work. He's about, wants to be a ballerina, sources tell us, and he's going to wear a tutu on Friday. And then and I say that all through the week. He's going to be wearing a tutu. And then you come to work Friday, and you never said that you were going to wear a tutu. You follow me? In other words, I said it, not you. And then you're not wearing a tutu. Do you know what my re- report, my headline would be then? Rod surprised, surprised people by not wearing a tutu today. You see what I'm saying? I'd made the prediction rather than saying I was wrong. My prediction was wrong, and I guessed badly. And I made it up. I'd say, Rod surprised critics by not wearing a tutu today. Well, you never said you were going to wear one. And uh, what my word analogy is referring to is the media in America and Great Britain has been predicting all kinds of things for Putin's Victory Day speech. They've been predicting he'll declare war or he'll announce an escalation or he'll say mission accomplished, right? And then we didn't report that, did we, Rod? Did we we make a prediction about something big coming at the Victory Day speech by Putin? No. No, I heard. I never heard you uh, or anybody else I can think of on Sputnik say that they that they knew what he was going to say. So, but I did hear uh, in the media here, CNN, MSNBC, uh, you name it, that you know they expected Putin to say he's going to declare all-out war on Ukraine and something about nuclear weapons and so on and right. so on. And they were just disappointed that he didn't do what they said he was going to do. And so the headline today, when he didn't do any of that, is Putin confused critics. By not declaring war, but whatever, use your dumb predictions. You idiots made up the prediction, and they didn't get that information from Russia. No one's confounded. No one's surprised. Only people surprised are people who listen to our lying media. And their headline, you see what I'm saying, Rod? Their headline, all the news reports said, Putin confounded expectations, right? Didn't they say that? Yeah, they're, they're just chasing the tail. The media was just chasing their own tail because they were expecting something, something humongous, something so monumental from Putin that you know he was going to declare war, or like I said, anything about nuclear weapons, which he didn't talk about. Or, or what he did was what he does every year on Victory Day, celebrating the victory over Nazis among others, 
Mussolini was in there too, but over fascism in Europe. And Putin gives a speech in Red Square. They have Victory Day parades all over Russia on Victory Day. So the big one, of course, is in the big city, Moscow. And Putin did his speech. The other thing you've been saying about Vladimir Putin is he has cancer, he has Parkinson's. You've heard of all this, Rod, right? Yeah. Also, he has a 39-year-old girlfriend. I don't know if that's true, but if it is true, that just that make it more popular to me. Um, but yeah, I have heard that he has cancer and how he's dealing with his cancer and all this other craziness. And it's it's lies. The American propaganda machine lies about Vladimir Putin. And he did not look at all like a person who was sick with anything. He's more he's got it more together despite what they're saying about him, certainly than Joe Biden. Who's more coherent and looks stronger? Oh, that's a fact, Lee. That's, that's, that's 100% fact. Joe Biden's confused as, as anybody can be. Uh, his wife had to remind him of his granddaughter and the person she's married to. Uh, I don't know if you saw that video. So this guy, he's just, every day it's getting worse and worse. Uh, I saw another video. He said, where, where am I supposed to go? Why am I here? So it keeps getting worse. Now, I'll talk about Joe Biden later because I found something that had been forgotten. And I may get that at the top of the next hour. But I will talk about Tony Bolinsky and that I think Joe Biden needs to be in, impeached or investigated immediately. And I'll talk about why. So that's not because he's a doddering old man, but that doesn't help. And by the way, some people say, well, you look into Joe Biden, all they'll do is replace him with Kamala Harris. She possibly needs to be under investigation, too. And I'll talk about why when I talk about the Tony Bolinsky story. But uh so they lie about Putin and say he's sick. He didn't look sick. He made sort of his standard speech, but he clearly, he brought up the war and made some allusions to that. And he put the onus on America and the West, which is true. They created this war. They provoked the situation and now they won't let Ukrainians surrender. I'll put it like this. Mariupol. And we'll talk to John Kiriakou a little bit about it later. Because Mariupol's a city, a lot of Greek there. It's a big Greek influence. It's on the Sea of Azov. The... Mariupol, would you say Mariupol is done? I mean, it's not done, done. But the fact is, the battle part, that seems to me to be done. Russia's taking the city. When, you, when you're holding people in a mine, in a catacombs, I'll put it like this. 
right? Let, let's let's pick New York. Let's say a foreign force had defeated soldiers all over New York, all over Manhattan, and they might be better off, by the way. But let's say they done done done. But the remaining troops were all in the Times Square subway station. And that's the only place they were. And there's foreign flags flying all over Manhattan. I'd say Manhattan is all over. I'd say the city had been won just because they've been taking the subway station. That doesn't mean anything. So they haven't taken the catacombs. But Mariupol is over with. Do you agree? Oh, no, I definitely agree. Then, you know, they're they're having their last stand at uh, this the steel plant as of stall. But uh, in the clip we're going to play of Lindsey Graham, he says the Ukrainians are whooping the butt of the Russians and that uh, we need to keep sending them weapons. And that that then he keeps saying we we I don't know what we he's talking about, but he said we're, we're going to get through this and we're going to win. Well, the that's true in a sense. The Ukrainian forces are very busy assaulting what Russian missiles and bullets by throwing their heads into them. Have you seen that? Ukraine is really taking a lot of the bullets and missiles from Russia by throwing their bodies in the way. No, there's no sense in which Ukraine can be said to be winning Mariupol or kicking butt, as Lindsey Graham says. And, uh, I think it's cruel. I think it's cruel. But I was talking to someone about this. We've noted that the Ukrainian government does not let the soldiers in Mariupol surrender, right? And there's like 2,000 of them who are likely going to die where they could surrender to the Russians, but the government won't let them. And a friend of mine pointed out something. There's a reason for that. Now, I want you to think about this, Rod. If the forces in Mariupol surrendered, first off, if they said they could surrender, I'll put it like this. Would you, if you were Ukrainian officials, let people surrender if you thought they were going to be slaughtered and tortured and killed. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. The, the Ukrainian government and Zelensky is they're being cruel to these to these uh, soldiers, a lot of them who were drafted against their own will. Um, so, yeah, they're being cruel, cruel. Well, coming up right after this short break, we'll jo- be joined by Elijah Monnier from France. And we'll be talking about Victory Day as we're celebrating Victory Day and the state of the war with Elijah on the backstory. Back on the backstory on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in the Washington, D.C. area. 
Joining us now, first-time guest, Elijah Monnier. He's a war correspondent and political analyst. Hey, Elijah, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very good. Happy Victory Day. You're in Paris, right? Yes, I am. So how's Victory Day being celebrated in Paris? Well, actually, the French president is in Germany talking about the war in Ukraine and how to deal with uh, the relationship with Russia, uh, very far from celebrating the uh, Victory Day over the Nazi, because today we have a situation that is taking the attention, grabbing the attention of the whole world. Uh, and uh, we ha we know that there are a lot of uh, illogical things happening in Ukraine and the relationship between Europe and Russia uh, and the Europe and the U.S. So it's a big mishmash here. And I understand actually France had kept Russia away from some Victory Day events, correct? They w didn't want to acknowledge that the World War II, the people who beat the Nazis were in fact Russia. They were largely responsible for that and lost 20 million people. So while they were bravely surrendering in France, the Vichy France, for instance, uh, the Russians were fighting them and yet France wanted to not allow Russia in the Victory Day celebrations or commemorations. Is that correct? Well, actually, it is true. Russia was the uh, uh, biggest participant in the fight against the Nazi in the Second World War and has lost between 24 to 26 million people between military and civilians. And that was the largest number any country have ever lost in fighting the Nazi and the expansion of Germany. Um, France today, uh, at the time of the Nazi, France surrender, as you rightly said, under the Vichy government. Uh, however, General Charles de Gaulle remained as part of the resistance and was part of the uh, victory against the Nazi with the uh, of course, support of uh, Russia on one hand and the allies on the other hand. The problem today is Russia has been demonized and the West has succeeded in demonizing Russia and turning the full attention against its president rather than uh, addressing the reality that is called the NATO expansion and the presence of U.S nuclear weapons on the European soil and the expansion of NATO to countries like Ukraine and Georgia. Moreover, we have Nazi in Ukraine that today the Europeans are just turning a blind eye when in 2014, 2015, all newspapers and mainstream media was full of uh, condemning the Nazi that represent the Azov Battalion, and there are several uh, thousands or uh, tens of thousands of people uh, and military and enjoying quite influence, the strong influence over the Ukrainian leadership 
But then on the other hand, we see the Israeli officers fighting with these Nazi, and we don't understand anything of what's happening, how the Israelis who suffer the Holocaust are fighting side by side with the Nazi in uh, southern Ukraine, in Mariupol, and in other parts, and supporting them against Russia, who fought against the Nazi uh, and uh, enjoyed excellent relationship with Israel. So the whole thing is uh, driven by the U.S. hegemony and control over Europe and its friends and allies uh, to force the hand of everybody and to stand against Russia just because Russia said the presence of NATO on my borders in Ukraine and Georgia, because that's also significant, should not be omitted, uh, is representing a red line. And then we hear NATO and the U.S. saying that is not true. We are a peaceful organization when we see NATO uh, far from being peaceful in the former Yugoslavia or that I have covered on the ground personally, in Iraq that I also covered on the ground, in Libya, this is another war that I saw what NATO was capable of, in Syria, and it's far from being uh, a Father Christmas. It is a military organization spreading nuclear weapons, 150 bombs in Europe, and including Turkey, of course, uh, all directed towards Russia. But then on the other hand, we hear Australia saying the Chinese presence in the Solomon Island that is 2,000 kilometers away from Australia is a red line. And then we hear the Americans saying the presence of Chinese in the Solomon Island that is 9,800 kilometers is a red line. But the presence of NATO in Ukraine cannot be a red line because what is permitted to the Americans is not permitted to others. And I find that Poland is especially seeming to forget the history of World War II. In World War II, Stefan Bandera, who's the idol of the Ukrainian Nazis to this day, they celebrate his birthday every January 1st around Ukraine. Stefan Bandera was born in Poland and attempted to assassinate a Polish official and was imprisoned and sentenced to death in Poland. And then when he's released, he, he they they transfer a sentence and they release him. He was responsible for killing a lot of Poles in World War II in Western Ukraine, around Lviv. And uh, yet today, the ambassador to Poland from Russia was attacked and they threw red paint on him while he was attempting to lay a wreath. Now, the Ukrainians were not the Poles' friends at all during World War II. Am I, do you know much about that history? Am I getting anything wrong there, Elijah? No, you're getting right. But what we need to understand here today is something we are very much aware in Europe is all the Eastern European countries who once were part of the Warsaw Pact and were under the uh, dominance of the Soviet Union, today they are 
totally under the dominance of the Americans. So they just switch from the Stalin era uh, control to the American control. And the problem we have today in Brussels, uh, where I live and cover normally, is how we deal with the Eastern Europeans that do not come up with decisions that support the European continent, and they are totally devoted under the colonialism of the U.S. hegemony, and they take decisions that are incompatible with the interests of the population of Europe. So, for example, when Poland declared, I don't need the Russian gas and I can live without it, they went to take the gas from Germany that is the Russian gas, but just taking it through Germany, not through Russia directly. So I think everybody has a very short memory of what happened in the Second World War today, because there is a new enemy that has been molded to say, well, Russia is a new enemy, and this is where we want to direct our attention and forget completely about what happened during the Second World War. As I told you, when the uh, Israeli fight alongside with the alongside with the Nazi, I mean, what remains of the Second World War? What remains today is everybody wants to close an eye on what happened during the Second World War because there is a new enemy today, and this enemy is not only Russia, but they try to concentrate on making it personal against President Vladimir Putin to say it is this person we are uh, in conflict with, but not the country as Russia, which is completely untrue. Russia has never been the uh, considered as a potential partner for the U.S. And because it was a strong partner for Europe, the U.S. has succeeded in dividing the European and the Russian, who are natural allies because there is a very strong bond between Russia and Europe when Russia defended Europe. And uh, the blood of the Russian in the First World War, uh, three and a half million Russian were killed in the First World War and 24 to 26 million in the Second World War. That was That took place on the European continent. So this attempt to just wipe out completely what's happening uh, in the history of the world is just uh, another way to say, well, we have to concentrate only on demonizing Russia and just concentrating on what Russia is doing in Ukraine without looking at anything behind uh, what the Russians are doing and how all the, this war has been prepared for since 2004, the failure of the Russian, of the uh, color revolution in Ukraine, the success of the 2014 Maidan, the bombing of the Ukrainian uh, in Kiev against the Ukrainian in Donbas, the uh, violation of the Minsk agreement. Who cares about what happened in the Second World War today? Now, I'm going to ask you to grade an American analyst here in one second. The analyst is Senator Lindsey Graham. He's a sitting senator and he's a former naval officer. 
So it's someone who should know military stuff. But I want you to listen to his analysis here and grade it. Tell us what you think of his analysis after you hear it. And if you haven't heard it before, you might want to have a bag to vomit it in because it's you'll see this is so ignorant of both history and the current situation. So don't say I didn't warn you. Here's Lindsey Graham. Play the clip. We're in a fight for the, the, the future of Europe. Uh, NATO needs to get bigger, not smaller. If Finland and Sweden join NATO and Europe breaks away from dependence on Russian oil and gas and Putin's declared a war criminal, it'd be the best outcome for the world writ large. China would be less likely to go into Taiwan. So I disagree. I think we should do everything within our power. I'm not asking for troops on the ground, but to make sure that Ukraine can expel Russia and that Putin's a war criminal in the eyes of the world and that he's prosecuted. Putin must go. I like Tom Frieden, but if you if you don't understand this, that if Putin's still standing after all this, then the world's going to be a very dark place. China's going to get the wrong signal, and we'll have a mess on our hands in Europe for decades to come. So let's take out Putin by helping Ukraine. All right, so you're saying that that's how this ends, that Putin is removed? Uh, is there any way... There's no off-ramp. There is no off-ramp. No off-ramp. So let me tell you why there's no off-ramp. The Ukrainians are not going to give the east to Putin uh, to, to stop the war. They're going to fight for every inch of their territory. If we push the Ukrainians to give up half the country, then Putin wins. If we back off prosecuting Putin as a war criminal, all the laws on the books become a joke. If we don't get this right, China will certainly invade Taiwan. There is no off-ramp in this war. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And I hope and pray and do everything in my power to make sure Ukraine wins. And Putin is in charge of a state state sponsor of terrorism. That designation needs to be given uh, to Russia. He's earned that designation. We need to pour it on when it comes to helping Ukraine. Last thing, at what point do you think Putin is going to move on Moldova or Poland or some other way that draws the West in? Do you think that that's inevitable as he gets more desperate? Well, Moldova is not part of NATO, but I do believe he could use chemical weapons because the people of Mariupol are fighting like tigers. If he uses chemical weapons to subdue the East, that should uh, lead to a no-fly zone by NATO to restore the international order. If he explodes a nuclear weapon inside of Ukraine to break our will, then to me that would be an attack on NATO because the radiation will go all over Europe. I could see him getting more desperate because there's no off-ramp for him. Here's what I think will happen. If we stick with Ukraine, they're not going to get up. Over time, the Russian people will turn on Putin. This war is a disaster. You'll see a parade Monday, but the parade doesn't reflect the Russian military. You see the Russian military getting their ass handed to them on the battlefield in Ukraine. We can win this war uh, on behalf of Ukraine if we help them. So what do you think is the analysis there? First off, let's go to a central conceit there that Russia is getting their asses handed to them in Ukraine. Elijah? Well, we are used to uh, Senator Lindsey Graham's uh, speeches and uh, wishful thinking, like uh, just several days ago when he called for Putin to be assassinated. So um, uh, when he talks about chemical weapons and no-fly zone and nuclear, the use of nuclear weapons, etc., he is exactly saying the scenario that we spoke about at the first beginning of this operation, 
because these are the false flag that we've seen in different zone, uh, war zone countries like in Syria very recently, uh, when the West needs to react and justify some bombing here, they are dealing with Russia, and this is not a joke. They can't accuse Russia of using chemical weapons when there is no need and Russia is making significant advance in the Donbass area and is in control of Mariupol at the exception of the steel factory that is under bombing uh, in the last 48 hours. So the the uh, imposing of no-fly zone, again, it shows how ignorant he is because imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine when the uh, Russian Air Force is in control, it means a, an immediate war declaration against Russia that has 5,000 to 100 nuclear bombs, of which, let's say, only half are working. But uh, yesterday we heard the Kremlin saying that we need 30 minutes to destroy completely all the NATO country. And nobody wants a nuclear war today, and, uh, neither the U.S. nor the Russian. So what uh, Lindsey Graham is saying is just a bit of sensational and to attract the media attention, but nothing of what he said makes any sense. And it's literally not true, right? Russia is is conducting a very methodical dismantling of Ukrainian forces. They're moving slowly, but they're putting up Russian flags in city after city, right? They're going into yes, devastating. Well, Go ahead. Well, what happened oh, at the first beginning of the war is gave a very wrong impression to the West that they can go uh, beyond the limit. So in the first uh, three weeks of the war, Russia used uh, really the gloves with the Ukrainians, meaning that they took into consideration the social uh, relationship between Ukrainian and Russian. Many people in Russia, I know, have families in Ukraine, almost all of them. Uh, actually. And um, that was taken into consideration and Russia gave the possibility for the Ukrainian to think about uh, just accepting not being part of NATO, not to accept to become a nuclear power and stop fiddling with the training and the drills that they have been conducting since Barack Obama was in power, uh, President Trump, and after that with President Biden. And all these drills were going hap were happening one after the other, strengthening the presence of NATO. And uh, the uh, message that Russia wanted to send is, look, I don't want to occupy Ukraine. I'm sending only 150 to 200,000 forces. And when you send uh, less than the defenders, uh, that are between 263,000 to 363,000, it means that you don't want to occupy the country because normally you should uh, inject uh, four, three to four times more the troops that you are fighting against. But the Ukrainians believe that this is a, a way to uh, hit back the Russian with the support of the Americans because at the end of the day, the Americans are the decision makers. And that was misunderstood largely by NATO and by the Americans, thinking that they can defeat Russia. So what Russia did is they moved to plan B. 
they pulled out from around Kiev, Hostomel, and all that area, and Chernobyl, and they said, okay, we announced our objectives, this is how you want to do it, then Donbass and the South are going to be taken away. And now we see in the Donbass, more or less between 70 to 80% of the territory is no longer under Kiev's government's control, and Mariupol has fallen, we see Zaporozhia, we see Kherson, we see Kherson is only 28,000 square kilometers, is under the Russian hand. And nobody's talking about it because the mainstream media is directed towards showing how the Ukrainian are uh, heroes, why the Ukrainians are not intelligent enough to understand that their army has been decimated, their air force is completely grounded, more or less, I mean 90%, because we see some uh, drones still flying and some uh, jets from time to time that the Russians are uh, taking down. So they don't understand that the Americans are using the Ukrainian to fight to the last Ukrainian soldier, and the infrastructure is destroyed, and Russia is starting to use a heavy hand and making significant progress. And I don't think Russia is in a hurry to end this operation because it's allowing the Ukrainians to understand that all the support that's coming from the West is only contributing to killing, uh, to the killing of more Ukrainian and Russian soldiers. But at the end of the day, there's no comparison between the Ukrainian army and the Russian army. No, but but when it comes to the economies of the two countries, we have an adversarial system, a two-party system. If the Republican Lindsey Graham sounded nuts, let's hear from a leading Democrat, the woman who is almost president of these United States, Hillary Clinton. Let's see if she sounds more sane. Play it. Hillary Clinton. All of a sudden, your big, aggressive, nasty neighbor decides he wants what you have. He can't build it himself. I mean, the real story here is that he has failed as the president of Russia. Russia's development has hardly advanced because he has taken so much of the money out along with his oligarchs and they haven't invested in the people of Russia. So let's go take our neighbor who wants to look toward Europe and wants their children to have a better life. Let's seize their assets. Let's seize their rich farmland. Let's seize their mineral resources. Let's seize their ports on uh, the Black Sea. Now, that's Hillary Clinton saying that Russia hasn't advanced economically, but that Ukraine, which is the poorest country in Europe, apparently Russia's jealous of them. Do you think Vladimir Putin wants the kind of salary Hunter Biden was making? What the hell is she talking about? How? Why would Russia want the economy of Ukraine? Is 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 Russia jealous of what Ukraine has, Elijah? It's it's really ridiculous and it's not worth commenting on it. So let's look at what happened in the last two months economically. Russia is producing less oil and gas. 30% less, and it's, uh, it is cashing three times more. So normally, Russia would do in the first uh, five months of the year, 
from only the uh, oil and gas uh, selling to Europe, around $40 billion. Now, in two months, they made $63 billion. This is what is happening now because of the U.S. decision to sanction Russia and push the European to do exactly the same, and everybody shot itself in the foot. And now we are screaming about the inflation and Russia, it's a ruble that went very down at the first beginning of the war to 60-something to the dollar, regaining ground even before the war and uh, better than it was in the last three years. So what we have done is we have imposed sanctions on ourselves first. Secondly, I wouldn't take anything what uh, Hillary Clinton would say without a big pinch of salt, because we see what the uh, U.S. dominance and colonialism uh, um, has created around the world. We've seen how the Americans failed. Not, I don't want to go to Vietnam, but I want to go to Afghanistan after 20 years of fighting the Americans gave back the power to the Taliban. In Iraq, they killed, or they are responsible for the killing of over one million person, and nobody wants them in Iraq because the parliament issued a decree asking them to leave. In Syria, President Trump said, I want to steal the Syrian oil, and they are cornered with a few hundred soldiers in the Northeast, just taking the food and the uh, energy of Syria, to deprive it from the Syrian government and from the population, and they failed to uh, do anything in Syria but to challenge the rule of President Assad and supported Al-Qaeda, armed Al-Qaeda. Hillary Clinton is the one who said, the people we are fighting today are the people who we, are fu we have funded and we have trained. Barack Obama spent $500 million on training the Hamza Brigade in Syria that turned immediately on the first day of fighting toward the Al-Qaeda, deliver their weapons and fight alongside with them. That is Hillary Clinton. This is what the US is producing around the world. They producing chaos under chaos. They're very strong in, they have a very powerful military. They can win a war, but they can never win a peace. They can't go to the end of it. They can destroy the country where they are in once they land, but they cannot reconstruct it because this is not their objective. Their objective is to dominate in what they are doing, and they are dominating over rebels. So what Hillary Clinton is saying to uh, about the Russian economy, we've seen today the parade. We've seen how the Russian people are all supporting, most of them, not all of them, but most of them supporting their president. Nobody is contesting it. There is no coup d'etat in Russia. And the army is uh, received the message from President Putin today that he wants them to fight. He did not go to an aggressive level to respond to the aggressiveness of what um, Lindsey Graham or uh, Clinton is saying. So that is the attitude of Russia to work silently, but is moving slowly but surely into achieving the objective that were announced by President Putin that is related to Donbass that was bombed and where 13,000 Ukrainian 
Russian speaker were killed, where the president of Ukraine said, I revoke the Minsk agreement, I don't abide by it, then Russia interfered. Elijah, a pleasure having you on. We're out of time. Thanks very much for joining us from France. Elijah Ronier, we'd like to have you back on again sometime soon to talk about your experiences in the Middle East as well. But great appearance, Elijah. We'll be back after this break on The Backstory. And welcome back to the backstory on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Great segment with Ola Germanier. And Rod, it strikes me that delusion is not a foreign policy. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, when Lindsey Graham is saying Ukraine is kicking Russia's butt, Nowhere is that the case. Ukraine is not kicking Russia's butt, and Vladimir Putin and the Russian economy are not jealous of the corrupt, poverty-stricken Ukraine economy. I mean, I mean, just the basic facts are false. And the only thing, and is it any wonder that the media is so screwed up you can't get any degree of truth from our politicians or our media and you won't see this in any polling but i'm convinced if i was talking to republicans you know imagine i could get in front of cpac or a large group of republicans i think i could do a speech about ukraine and say that russia is fighting george soros and klaus schwab and then play a clip of the Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainian uh, member of parliament, that lady who was saying they're fighting for a new world order. And I'll bet it, over 50% of the Republicans hearing that, they would side with Russia. Do you agree with me, Rod? If I talked to Republicans and presented the case factually, and accurately about who the bad guys are here. Soros, Schwab, the New World Order. Do you think you'd be with me? Oh yeah, 100%. I think you'd have a lot of independence with you too, and probably a good chunk of um, people who say they're Democrats. You know, um, once this is laid out correctly, or <clears throat> once people hear it correctly, I don't, I don't know how you go back to listening to the to the mainstream media or the corporate media and believe anything they're saying. I mean, these people. Uh, I told you uh, earlier about the clip. I forgot to get it, but of CNN talking about the um, the made up Nazis that are in Ukraine. I mean, what two and a half months later, since the you know um, Russia started this military operation, they're still defending the Nazis. We're talking about white, black, gay, straight, whoever gets on TV, they defend the neo Nazis in Ukraine. And I mean, how does morally, how do you do that? Let alone ethically. But thankfully. You know, the tide could be turning in the war, and Ukraine could be starting to kick Russia's butt because U2 was over there. You saw that bone on the edge 
were over there playing in the subway. And that's going to turn the war. Yeah, and, no, definitely, definitely. That's that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna give them all the confidence they need. And that was easy to predict. And I like you too. I, I like the band. But what what the hell? When Bono started waving the EU flag a few years ago, I knew that he lost it politically. Whatever independence he had went away, because. It's fun to slum with people who are neoliberals. They have nicer limos. And so I'm sure it was an enjoyable. I would have liked to have been there to hear the concert. But he's talking about it. Ukraine is fighting not just for themselves, but for freedom. What freedom are you talking about? The freedom to be killed by Ukrainians, Nazis in Mariupol? The citizens were being killed by the Ukrainians' troops that were there. The defenders that are now holed up in the catacombs, the citizens are free because they're not under control of the Ukrainian military. But those clips of Lindsey Graham, top Republican, and Hillary Clinton, top Democrat, are embarrassing, right? I mean, Rod, it's it's embarrassing. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And you know, if you if you are you know consider yourself a conservative and you know support Lindsey Graham, I don't know how you support him. This guy's multiple times. We got to take Putin out. I mean, it's been going on three months. He wants Putin assassinated. Why won't the Russian people assassinate Putin? And, you know, with Hillary Clinton's just uh, she's the war princess, the war queen. She loves war wherever she sees it. So I don't know uh, how anybody could support her either. Do we have anyone in line right now? Uh, don't. OK, I just want to make sure because I'm blind. I, I miss stuff sometimes. But uh, let's pivot from Lindsey Graham to talk about and make fun of Meghan McCain, John McCain's daughter and the former View co-host, Megan McCain, you saw recently she put out a book, right? She tried to, yeah. I, I did see that. She put an effort to it. Well, she put it out, but no one picked it up. Apparently, it sold 300 copies. Now, Rod, I'm nobody, right? You know, I, I make dumb jokes and great journalism on the radio. But if I put out a book that sold 300 copies, I would be ashamed, Rod. And you'd be ashamed for me, wouldn't you? It's embarrassing. But Megan McCain sold 300 copies of her book. And rumor is that 250 of them went to Lindsey Graham. That's not, I, I started that rumor. But that is whack. That shows how you know, my theory on this stuff is you can't fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And I, again, the purpose of, you know, Noam Chomsky referred to manufacturing consent. The purpose of the media is to manufacture consent. And one of the ways they do that is they do these polls and they're slanted. 
You can slant a poll by the way you ask a question. And you'll never see a poll showing that any amount of Americans are opposed to Ukraine in this war. But I think a lot of Republicans, especially, and independent voters, see through it. And the fact that Zelensky got you two over there and was showing up at the Grammys and everything else, they see stuff that they hate. They hate it, you know, this avatar activism. They see all everyone with the blue and yellow flags in their avatars, and they smell a rat, and they know who's behind it, Soros and Schwab, and everybody who they hate. But the media, who's trying to manufacture consent, can't let anyone know, because imagine if they came out with a fair poll that said a surprising number of Republicans actually support Russia. And I'll bet, you know, I get I get the sense from when I talk to people, we've had Jim Hoffman on the show a number of times. I talked to Jim last night. And Jim, I will say, I like and admire Jim because he's got a truly independent website aimed at conservatives. And he's had some of the better coverage about the war. Have you noticed that gateway pundit Jim Hoft has had some stories to get the truth out? I'm not saying I agree with everything he's published because it's very hard. But I'll put it like this. Do you follow gateway pundit? Yeah, I check their stuff. And uh, from what I've seen, and I've tried to look at other conservative sites, but they're the only one, I believe, that's actually reporting um, – fairly on what's happening in Ukraine. Right, which is all I ask. I am pro-Russia, and I like Vladimir Putin, as do most Russians. And so you don't have to take that position, but at least report it fairly. Give people a chance to get the truth. We'll take a short break. When we come back, it's the Carmine Monday. Carmine Xavier is joining us as guest host, and I'll run some stuff by him on the Hunter Biden laptop. empire of lies, an oasis of truth and free speech in the vast desert of the American media. This is a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So it's the Carmine Monday. We'll tell you when Carmine's on. Thanks to Elisha Marnier for a great appearance, first time appearance, and he knows a lot of stuff. And I'd like to talk to him about his experience in Syria and uh, Libya and other places, because this reminds me a lot of the lies that were told and are still told about Syria, for instance, where we were backing the U.S., to my great shame, was backing Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And when I went over to Lebanon to report on the Syrian war and the refugee crisis, people would ask me, why is the U.S. doing this? 
why is it reporting, supporting Al-Qaeda? And I didn't have a good answer for him. I still don't. But it's to my shame as an American that we have backed the bad guys, Nazis in Ukraine and Al-Qaeda. Coming up this hour, John Kiriakou, the former co-host of this very program, and now the co-host of Political Misfits, heard every day, noon to two, right here on Radio Sputnik. This is the backstory. 202-521-1320 is the number if you want to be part of the show. So I was thinking about the Hunter Biden laptop story, Rod. Try to imagine we had a media that didn't suck. Okay, try to imagine. I wonder if you can. Now, if we had a media that didn't suck, as soon as the New York Times and Washington Post and CNN came out and admitted the Biden laptop was real, because remember that story was censored and Joe Biden lied about it. But as soon as that happened, what they should have done was not just admit that the Biden laptop was real. It should have implied some stuff. So I began looking into that last night and I found something stunning. I'm gonna repeat what I said before. Joe Biden needs to be impeached and he needs to be under investigation. So remember Tony Bobulinski, remember that name? Well, I'm sorry, Rod, you were breaking up there. But do you remember the name Tony Bobulinski? Oh yeah, of course, how could I forget? Well, okay. The way you can forget is because the Post and the Times and CNN didn't follow up and say, well, since the Biden laptop was real, we should look into that Tony Bolinsky story. Did they? Did you see them follow up and get new interviews with Tony Bolinsky? Anybody? No. No, I actually saw in the press conference they were they weren't even really they were kind of like uh demeaning him. He had the phones, he had everything there, he had the documents, and they, it, was, it was weird He was when he had made that press conference. Right. And what they should have done is said, maybe there's a story here. And what Tony Bolinsky said, and he showed text messages that he said proved it, was that on May 2nd, 2017, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden met with him at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. And when they met with him, they were discussing the Chinese energy company at the center of this, CEFC Energy. So that was a company. Now, have you heard Joe Biden say he had nothing to do with his son's businesses? He's never discussed it with them. Yeah, I heard, I've heard him say that. Now, If he was at a meeting at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, would that mean he was lying about that? Yeah, he would. That would that be the lie right there. And also there were messages that said the big guy will get 10 percent. And Bobolinsky said he said the big guy was Joe Biden and he knew it was Joe Biden. And he said it was a two hour meeting and he was there. And so last night I was going through this material and I did what any journalist could have done. So the claim by Bobolinsky 
is that Joe Biden was at a meeting at the Beverly Hilton Hotel on May 2nd, 2017. So as a journalist, I'm skeptical. I don't take Tony Bolinsky's word. You with me? So how would I prove or disprove that Joe Biden was at the meeting? Because he's claiming Joe Biden was at the meeting. But I decided to check where Joe Biden was on May 2nd, 2017. If he had been in Cleveland or, you know, South America or someplace, then what do we know? If he was, if there was a news source saying Joe Biden was at a hotel in Cleveland last night, May 2nd, 2017, then Bobolinsky can't be telling the truth, right? Because Biden couldn't have been at the Beverly Hilton Hotel on May 2nd, 2017, right? Yeah, his credibility would be damaged. Right. So I decided to look up where Joe Biden was on May 2nd, 2017, and it only took me four minutes to find it and a couple of Google searches. I found an LA Times story printed on May 3rd that said he was speaking at an event put on by Michael Milken in Beverly Hills on May 3rd. So that means that it's possible he was at the Beverly Hilton Hotel on May 2nd, doesn't it? It doesn't place it yeah, doesn't place him so. there conclusively, but it doesn't rule it out. Right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think it means it needs to be investigated since he was at in Beverly Hills. But not only that, I looked up the Milken event. The Milken event, guess where it was held? If you had to bet money, if the Milken event was at a hotel in Beverly Hills, guess what hotel it was at? I'll bet 100 that it was at the Beverly Hills Hotel. No, it was at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Because there's two <laughs> hotels. There's the Beverly Hills Hotel and the Beverly Hilton. The Beverly Hilton I've been to because years ago I covered the John Edwards affair story. And the Beverly Hilton Hotel is the hotel where John Edwards met his paramour, Riel Hunter, and his daughter several times. It was at the Beverly Hilton. Bolinsky said it was at the Beverly Hilton, the meeting. Sure enough, Biden was at the Beverly Hilton Hotel for sure the next day because there's a video of it up on YouTube. And if you type in, go to YouTube and type in Biden, Milken, right? So I can place him at the same hotel that Bobolinsky says he was at the night before. I can place him at that hotel the next day. And my guess is if the Milken event was held at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, they probably put the president up, guess where? at the Beverly Hills Hotel. They probably invited him as a speaker, had him fly out the previous day. This is conjecture on my part, but it's just logic. They had Biden fly in the night before, so I was at the Beverly Hilton when Tony Bolinsky says he was with Hunter. Now, any journalist could have found this. It was public information. A good journalist 
with resources. Like the, do you know who should have been on all of this? The LA Times. The LA Times, I'm sure, could have called the Beverly Hilton and gotten that information from him and found out whether or not Joe Biden was checked into a room. And they, they, there's a tiki bar, a Polynesian-themed bar, down on the lower level of the Beverly Hilton. I'm guessing that's where they met. Because as far as I know, the only bar there. And uh, they could have asked around. And the LA Times could have dug into this. Why hasn't any journalist from a big mainstream media publication reported this or even looked into it? You know the answer, right, Rod? Of course, I know the answer. They don't want to. They don't want to touch it because they know they could. They could see that you know Joe Biden's corrupt. Or he has a history of corruption. Even this whole you what's going on in Ukraine. They don't report anything that you know he was the. Uh, the, the czar of of Ukraine appointed by uh, Obama, so he has a, lot, a long history there. His son was in charge of a on the board of a gas company. Doesn't know any. I mean, does he even know a second language, let alone Ukrainian? So they they know that what what would happen if they investigated uh, Joe Biden. And let me point out one big lie about the Biden laptop. The big lie is it doesn't matter because it's just about Hunter. No. The laptop revealed emails that mentioned Joe Biden and suggested he was getting paid. Something Joe Biden has specifically denied. He's denied getting paid. But the, the laptop contained proof of that. Now, do you know who's been investigating some stuff about Hunter Biden? What, what committee in the Senate? Do you know? Mm, actually, not offhand. I know it's not counterintelligence. It wouldn't be. Well, no, um, you're right. It's not counterintelligence. And I'm going to say to you, and then you'll think of, uh, you'll hear of uh, the dulcet singing voice of Nan Jankwich in your when I tell you it's the Homeland Security Subcommittee. That's who's investigating Hunter Biden. Right. So right, you, right. right. And I say, it's not an accident that Nina Shankowitz was put in place and she's lied about the Biden laptop. I would say some of those guardrails she's put out, according to Mayorkas, the guardrails are going to be about this story. You, it's a conflict of interest. You have a woman who's told a lie. And it's not me saying it. It's major media sources. She's lying and saying it's Russian propaganda. She said, Biden himself said, it's a Russian plant. The Biden laptop was not a Russian plant. And I'm saying he said that to conceal evidence of a crime that he, and, and where journalism comes in is if the LA Times or anybody had pursued this story properly, I'll put it like this. When I found the video on YouTube, guess how many views it had? About 500, less than 500. For, and that's a highlight video. It's got 300 videos. The main videos has 5,000 views. So what does that tell you that 
only 5,000 people since 2017 have viewed this video. Yeah, the suppression of it. That's what I would say. It's suppression of it. And that the the, the, uh, the media don't want to touch it. The media don't want to report on it. And they don't want you to see it. And I'm going to give credit to a person we've had on the show before. Ian, when I found the information, I described what I did. I went through and I just traced it because I've done this before. I tried to I did a Google search for the date and Joe Biden's name. And then I added Beverly Hills, and I quickly found the LA Times story. I found it independently on my own. But then afterwards, I was looking at a story. We've had Ian Miles Strong as a guest on the show before, right? And my girlfriend found a story on the Post Millennial Insight. And on the Post Millennial, in 2020, the reporter pointed out that Biden, she'd done her job. She found out that Joe Biden was at the Milken event at the Beverly Hilton. In other words, I didn't find it that way. But once I found that another reporter had covered it, I don't want to seem like I'm stealing the information she got. And I want to give her credit for it. But the post-millennial is not one of the, it, it may be a fairly big site, but in 2020, it's not like the Gateway Pundit or the Daily Wire or Breitbart, right? I'm not, no, it's not, it's not that big, no. I'm not judging your quality. I'm merely judging the quantity of readers. If this story had broken on, let's say, Breitbart, or let's say Daily Caller, if this story had broken on Daily Caller with the video embedded and then Tucker Carlson, have you ever seen Tucker talk about this? We can place. Oh, no, not the specifics, but he has had Tony Bobulinski on before. Yes, but but I, th it's a big deal corroborating Bobulinski's story. This is corroboration of it. We're physically putting Biden at the same hotel. Other people reported that Tony Bolinski claimed it, but they haven't emphasized that there's reason to believe it's true that we can find independently. You follow me? Has that point right, been em yeah. emphasized? And you no, follow no. This stuff. No, it's never. So if that had been on Tucker Carlson, how many views do you think the video would have? Way more than 5,000, right? Oh, no, for sure. Probably... In the millions, well, as far as YouTube would let it, but it would it would hit the millions, in my in my opinion. And I think right now, that's why I'm emphasizing this. Right now, that video should have a lot of views. And let me tell you why the video is important. Because Tucker, because Tucker Carlson could point out and play the video on a show. He's got a TV show, and he could play the video and say, "Here's footage of Joe Biden at the very hotel." Tony Bolinski claimed he was at. We, we're now placing him there physically, and this video is available. This needs to be emphasized. And the fact that no politicians have called for an investigation or no politicians have brought this up is shameful. It is absolutely shameful. They're letting the 
with Carmine joining us now. Carmine Savia, how you doing? Chilling, brother, chilling. So did you hear what I was talking about? No, I was, you know what? I'm so sorry. I got called into work last minute and I was tardy for no the problem. show. So I'm so sorry. What are we talking about? We're happy to have you. I found video last night and it had been reported in the Post Millennial before. But remember Tony Bobolinsky? Yeah, of course. The guy who claimed that Hunter Biden yeah. and Joe Biden met with him at a hotel on May 2nd, 2017. Yes. I can place Joe Biden at that hotel giving a speech the day after, May 3rd, 2017. And there's video on YouTube, and anyone can look this up. Have you heard that he has absolutely been verified to be at the hotel? Tony Bolinski said in text messages, they had the text message, they had the meeting with him at. Are you 100% certain? Because that's huge. I'm I'm 1,000% sure. And you can look up yourself. Look up Milken, M-I-L-K-E-N, Joe Biden, 2017 Beverly Hills. And you'll find the Milken his charity website. And you'll still, you'll find it on YouTube too. But I'm 100% sure. Right. And it's, you see why, Carmine? That's a big deal. Well, you would think a journalist could have gotten a hold of that information. Well, some, a writer at the, at Ian Miles Strong site, the Post Millennial, reported in 2020. But it was in the middle of a story. And, but you see why this is huge. It's independent confirmation that would tend to lend credibility to Tony Bolinski's account, right? It lends huge credibility to it. Is Ian, by the way, is Ian, Ian the owner of that site? I, I don't know the structure over there, but oh. well, I found it myself last night independently. And then my girlfriend knows it was in a story in the Post Millennial in 2020. And I, I like Ian. And I, I'm one of those guys who, you know, I like to get scoops, but I don't want anyone to think I was stealing the material. And I don't want to take credit for being the first to break it if I wasn't. And my feeling is, you know, you can get a lot accomplished if you don't care who gets credit for it. I want the information out there. You see what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. That's the most important no. thing. Right. And this information is 120% confirmed. You can find it on the Milken site. You can find the videos on YouTube. And it needs to be out. And you're right. You're right. Completely. Any this journalist. Goes back to the, what are we talking about? This goes back to the dereliction of duty on the part of the media in the run-up to the 2020 election. Hunter Biden's sort of kill it. Bobolinsky, kill it. They could have found that how easy if you could find it and, and Ian could find it. And you're both great journalists. The great journalists at ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN couldn't find this. It's very easy to find you. Seriously, you can find it in two seconds yourself. Type in Milken, M-I-L-K-E-N, Michael Milken, the junk bond king. Milken, Joe Biden, Beverly Hills. And you'll find the web Milken website. And you'll find that information there. Let's take the conspiracy theory further. Why didn't Fox News report this? Why didn't Sean Why Hannity didn't report any, this? I don't know. And that's what I was saying. 
But, you know, the other thing about it is I don't think it's possible that it's not an accident that it was at the Milken event. It's possible. Michael Milken's a shady character, and he apparently has some connection with Bill Browder, and I've not run that down yet, but it may not be an accident and that those Chinese officials were at the Milken event. I'm saying the location may have been because everybody was there. You following me? And, and anybody, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Check it out. It's 100% confirmed. And you'll probably find the Pulse Malone story. And I want to give him credit. His, he's a woman writer, I forget her name. But Ian published it in 2020. But he, this needs to be hit hard right now. That video needs to go viral. And so I'm hoping, don't take my word for it, everybody. Assume that I'm lying and see if you can confirm it yourself. It doesn't not, it doesn't take long to find. And we go to calls, 202-521-1320. Brave, what's on your mind? Okay, we don't have Brave anymore. But if he goes back, tell me, and then we'll put him on. But anyway, what do you think of that, Carmine? Unbelievable. You should be on Fox News tonight with this. Well, someone should be. Somebody you know. should be. Somebody needs to report them. Why? Man, I've never seen, bro, even for Obama, I have never seen a media cover for somebody like they have covered for this elderly, senile man and corrupt. Don't they? I always say elderly and senile. Let's not forget corrupt. He's corrupt as the day is long. His whole family's corrupt. He's he's the politician's politician. Well, Carmine, you know writer. His name is Carmine Xavier. So feel free. I'm telling you, please. No one owns this information, and you can confirm it. But please, you can cover the story. You can get this out. You can revisit it, and you'll probably find some more stuff if you dig a little further. I'm basically blind. So, and I found this. Let me point out as screwed as my hey, eyesight way, is. By the way, man, you yeah. sound great today. Oh, thanks very much. Well, I'm kind of on fire about this, but Carmine, feel free to steal the story. You know what I mean? I'm joking when I say steal the story, but I feel free mean. to write this up, right? And confirm it. And if I'm wrong, feel free to destroy it, says Lee Strand's an idiot. That'll get some <laughs> readers. But do you know who else I'm ashamed of aside from the media? Why hasn't uh, a politician gone after this? Why hasn't a single solitary politician? They have staffs, Laura Bollert or Rand Paul or Thomas Massey. Why isn't a single solitary? I know why Lindsey Graham may not have gone after this. I can think of some reasons Mitch McConnell may not have gone after this. But there's some good politicians. Nobody's gone after this. Why? This is evidence that he's lying, not just about the laptop, but about meeting with his son and Chinese energy officials. This ties him right to the central story here. The real story is not 
Hunter Biden, right? This is much bigger than Hunter Biden. This is oh, yeah. Joe Biden involved, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They keep saying, well, Hunter's not president. So I, I was flipping out last night. When I found this, I decided to run the story down. I decided to do what I thought a real journalist at the Washington Post or New York Times or someplace should do. And I ran the story down by asking a question, well, how do I know Bobulinski's telling the truth? Right? So I yeah. figured, let, let's try to place Joe Biden. Let's see where he was on May 2nd, 2017. I'll tell you who else should have investigated this, the FBI. We have reason to believe that Joe Biden was lying through his teeth, not just about the laptop, but about his involvement with Hunter Biden's business dealings. And if Bobulinski's telling the truth about that and Hunter Biden's lying, then I believe Tony Bobulinski is probably more credible on his statement that the big guy is Joe Biden. Of course. Who else could it be? Right. And you notice they don't ever say, no, no, no. The big guy's not. That refers to the size of Hunter Biden's genitalia, for instance. No one said that. Although you've seen the pictures, it's possibly true. But I don't want to see the pictures, bro. No, no one said who the big guy is. The Washington Post doesn't say, well, that's obviously not Joe Biden. It's his brother, Jim. No one says who it is. Who is the big guy? That's a fundamental question. If Paul Lindsay's right and Joe Biden's a big guy, I would argue he has to be impeached. This is solid evidence that they had for any of the accusations on Trump. Right. Oh, gosh, yes. My dog agrees. And it's shameful. And I, I was, it's shameful that this has not been followed by any journalist. And I, I agree. It, shame, it should be on Fox. But Carmine, take it away. And, and if you get a chance to research it a little during the show, please tell people that you confirmed or that I'm an idiot. I will, I will able take it. Independently confirm it. Come on. And up I have a question this. for you, but I know we're going to yeah. break. No, go ahead. The Ukrainian Democracy Defense Land Lease Act of 2022. What is that? And what is that? I don't that know. Biden, Biden signed something called the Ukraine Democracy Defense Land Lease Act of 2022 an hour ago. I don't know. I assume it's sending more money to Ukraine, which is a, a hugely corrupt country. It says military aid. That's what I'm concerned about. That, that is concerning. So coming up after this break, we'll be talking to the former co-host of the show, the great John Kiriakou, CIA whistleblower, John Kiriakou, right after this break on The Backstory. Back in the backstory and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. on the radio. Joining us now, 
the former co-host of this show and the current co-host of the show Political Misfits, heard every day from noon to two, right here on Radio Sputnik, John Kiriakou. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, doing well, Lee. How are you? I'm groovy. So, John, I, I got a couple of questions for you about Mariupol uh, because you speak Greek. You're, you're a dual citizen. Do you ever read, and I'm, I assume yes, do you read Greek newspaper coverage of the situation in Mariupol? Yes. So yes. in other words, I, I, I don't agree that because it's all Greek to me. Right. You know, in other words, I speak just English. When you read the Greek coverage, and I assume their sources for a lot of the story are residents of Mariupol, right? Yes, right. Now, so right. how do you see the coverage as different? I, I have no idea what you're going to say. Yeah, you know, it's it it's changed. It's changed pretty uh, dramatically. In in the beginning, uh, the coverage was pretty solidly pro-Russian. Uh, you know, the the Greeks have had a, a long, uh, good relationship with the Russians diplomatically. They're both Orthodox Christian nations, and um, and uh, th there's always been a connection between Greeks and uh, and uh, Russians. That began to change with uh, with the siege of uh, Mariupol, and. Now what it is is – well, it depends on which newspaper you're reading. If you're reading left-wing newspapers, the coverage is still pretty solidly pro-Russian. If you read the, the conservative or center-right newspapers, the coverage is pro-Ukrainian. Uh, which I have found to be interesting. You know, there are a lot of ethnic Greek uh, people who live in Mariupol. Uh, there are 14,000 who consider themselves to be Greek, where they have actual claims to Greek citizenship or nationality. And, and the Greek government has said anybody who's ethnically Greek that wants to go from Mariupol to Greece, the Greeks will welcome them. You can claim your citizenship. They'll give you a job, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'll tell you what caused the split, Lee, is when uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky addressed the Greek parliament by video and then brought a Nazi with him, like an actual an actual Nazi. This guy from the Azov Battalion who addressed the Greek parliament was one of those ethnic Greeks from uh, Mariupol, but he's also an avowed Nazi. And it was so bad that the opposition party, the main opposition party in the Greek parliament and all of its associated, you know, smaller uh, partners, they all got up in protest and walked out of parliament. It was like, this is the stupidest thing that Zelensky could have done was to bring a Nazi to talk to the Greeks, to the Greeks who have just banned their Nazi party called Golden Dawn and successfully prosecuted all of its leaders. Bad move. Yeah. So, so I, in a sense, I don't care whether it's pro-Ukrainian or pro-Russian. I want it to be pro-fact. In in other words, uh, I want to know who they're reporting was, for instance, a, 
attacking the citizens and holding as human shields. For instance, in the catacombs, they recently released a bunch of women and children who were in the catacombs at, at the steel plant. You heard right. that, right? Yeah. In fact, you know, they made a they made a tactical error. The Ukrainians did. They said that they had uh, they had sent out all of the women and children. This was what Friday or Saturday, and then they said that in exchange for food and water, they would release other people. And my first thought was, oh, so that so you're holding them hostage is what you're saying. They they aren't there seeking refuge. If you're offering to trade them for food and water, that means you're holding them hostage. And also, I saw a mainstream media report that was not anti that was anti Russian. In other words, their spin was anti Russian. But they reported when those women and children were released, they either went to a village north of Mariupol or Russia. Now, if it was the Russians holding them against their will, do you think there's any way those people would want to go to Russia? No. I don't. You know, this is actually an ongoing debate. Um, I, I don't think they – you're talking about the Greek nationals, right? No, I'm talking about the women and children, but also oh, the, the women Greek and nationals. Children? Oh, well, the women and children. I mean, it, so many of those people are ethnically Russian, or even if they're not ethnically Russian, if, if you're being offered safe passage and you can stay in Russia – through the course of the hostilities and be, you know, have your safety guaranteed, you got to give that consideration. Um, the Greek nationals, I, I think, would probably elect to go to Greece, probably. Um, but, but others, I see, I just don't buy this notion that people are being held against their will, that they've been kidnapped, for example. I have a friend, a Ukrainian friend who told me, well, did you hear about all the women and children that have been kidnapped and taken to concentration camps in Russia? It's like, come on, what's wrong with you? So I, th I think people actually did have a choice. You could go to these facilities in, in uh, Russia across the Sea of Azov and wait things out. Or if you're ethnically Greek and have a claim to Greek citizenship, you can go to Greece. I'll tell you the one thing I find interesting, and, and I, I've said this to Lee before, you watch CNN, and I, I watch them. I, I I do. I watch, so you sure. don't have to. Yeah, there you and go. I watch CNN, and they show these like I, I can't describe it. They're showing footage of the Azov Battalion, and a lot of footage of the Azov Battalion, and they they talk about them like heroes, and they don't tell you any of what Absolutely the Azov Battalion right. stands for. They keep all of that hidden, and, and it's like Absolutely. Yep. This is part yep. of it. It's like, what happened to journalism? So I say it on Twitter every chance I can get. You know, these guys you're cheering on. I said, you spent the past year talking about, I want to punch a Nazi, and now you're sending money to actual Nazi. Yeah, actual Nazis. I have a friend who's uh, an editor at CNN, and she told me on Friday that um, that one of the reporters sent her a video that he wanted her to include in a story. And she said, did you confirm the video? And he looked at her and he goes, well, I got it from the Azov. Like, does it need to be confirmed? And I said, you're you're kidding me, right? Like he he knows that they're Nazis, right? And she said, you know, they think that that's just a word thrown around by the right wing. 
And I said, well, all you have to do is just Google it. I mean, it's not like the information's hidden or anything. Well, it is now on Google. It is now. But uh, uh, two, months ago, two months ago, if you typed in Azov Battalion, it said Nazi everywhere. Now you got to really try, try typing it in now and see if you can find Nazi associated with it. You will not. Maybe wow. if you go 10 pages deep on the search results. I've tried it the other day. The, the information that was there is now it's not once it's gone, but it's buried. So somebody's it's been bar- tinkering with the algorithm. Yeah. Well, well, part of the way it's tinkered with is simply if the New York Times and the Post, if they put out stories saying it's a false claim by Putin, they don't have to justify it. That's going to get high in the search rankings. Right. So it's a way of making the media do the work for them. They don't mess with the algorithm. They just put out a lot of stories in the mainstream media denying it. That's kind of the the business model of that uh, reputation.com. You know reputation.com. They advertise every once in a while. If there's something uh, online that you want to uh, get rid of, like let's say you you have a drunk driving arrest or something, you pay them five, ten, twenty five thousand, whatever level of service you want, and they'll they'll write you know a one page article saying you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then they'll put it on five thousand different websites. So if somebody wants to find your your DUI, they've got to go down to page fifty or fifty one or fifty two before it ever starts to appear. It's sort of the poor man's way of manipulating the algorithm. Now, John, I'm going to ask you about a story that you were skeptical at first, and I'm going to ask you to use your analytic skills. And this is something, Carmen, I think this is a big deal, but feel free to shoot us down. And, and I know you'll be honest, as you always are. And But apply your analytic skills here for a second. You, the Hunter Biden laptop story, it's safe to say you didn't believe it at first. I didn't. Right? That's right. I didn't. Now, one of the elements of that story was a man named Tony Bobolinsky, who was Hunter Biden's business partner. Right. He made an allegation that on May 2nd, 2017, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden met with Tony Bobolinsky and a person from his Chinese energy company. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if, first off, if that meeting did take place, would it be trouble for Joe Biden because he's explicitly denied it? Do you, I do think, you think it, it would be it would be a catastrophe for Joe Biden? Yeah. Okay. Now, let yeah. me ask you this. So, I, Tony Bolinsky made the claim, but if I'm a skeptical reporter, as you would approach it skeptically, why should we believe Tony Bolinsky? And one way that wouldn't prove he was at that meeting, but it would prove he was. Could have been there mm-hmm. was if you found out that on May 2nd, 2017, he was in South America, Biden, then Tony Bowles, he's lying, right? That's right. But yes. if you found out that he was in Beverly Hills at the same hotel, the Beverly Hilton Hotel, and there's this video of him within 24 hours of the event, he was making a speech at the Milken charity yes. at the hotel. And there's video of it. What does that tell you then? Again, it doesn't yeah. say Tony Bolinsky's telling the truth for sure, but what is how much weight does it give his story? 
Uh, yeah, a lot of weight. You know what this reminds me of, Lee? Um, you remember at the at the very very end of the uh, Trump administration, first few days of the of the uh, Biden administration. Uh, I was mentioned in a story, a page one story in the New York Times about uh, my efforts to get a pardon. And uh, I, I told the New York Times that I had had this lunch meeting with Rudy Giuliani and a couple of his hangers on and Giuliani wanted two million bucks for for the pardon. Well, Giuliani, when they called him for a comment, he adamantly denied. He said he never heard of me. He never met with me. He never talked to me. He didn't know what I was talking about. And the New York Times reporter, uh, Mike Schmidt, he called or Steve Schmidt, he called me back and he's like, look, you know, we got adamant denials. So I sent him a photograph of me with Rudy Giuliani at lunch at the Trump Hotel with all of his hangers on and it shut him up and it appeared on page one of the New York Times. The bottom line is when you've got one person uh, who's clearly telling the truth and another person who's clearly not telling the truth and the evidence points to one of those people, then that's what you have to go with. You got to go where the evidence points you, points, points a, for you. A lot of times at a meeting like that, for instance, there's other stuff that I did not look up because I wouldn't have the ability to do it because I'm not a reporter for a big outlet. But, for instance, you can track credit card receipts. And oh, if you exactly. found a credit card receipt for drinks at the Beverly Hilton Beverly Hills Hotel, Hilton Hotel that night, that pretty much nails it, right? It nails it. Yep. It's all about the evidence. Yes. And and that's 100% confirmed, John. The L.A. Times ran a story on it, and you can find the website of Milken and YouTube videos. And this has not been covered except in a small story in the post-millennial a couple of years ago. But do you think that's a big deal, John? I do the think it's a video. big deal. Yeah, I think this is a very big deal. And and I think it's a very big mistake the way the Biden people are – are handling it. They're not confronting it. Do you remember uh, uh, Betsy Bloomingdale? Um, her husband, and her, his first name escapes me, was a close friend of Ronald Reagan's, and, and he was part of that Reagan kitchen cabinet, is what they called it back in the 80s. Well, this Mr. Bloomingdale um, had a heart attack and died. The problem was he had a heart attack while on top of his much younger girlfriend. And so, uh, you know, the news hit the wires and and uh, there was some discussion at the Reagan White House. Like, what should we do? Well, we should we should deny that he and Reagan were close. And Reagan's like, I've known this guy for 60 years. He's one of my best friends. So what they ended up doing was they issued a statement saying he was one of the president's best friends. The president's thoughts and prayers are with Mrs. Bloomingdale he was sorry to hear the details of Mr. Bloomingdale's demise, but that's between him and his God. And you know what? That was the perfect statement. Now, in the case of, of Biden and this meeting with the Chinese, if this happened, what he should have said from the get-go was the president was out in Beverly Hills. Hunter asked for this meeting. The president met with this guy. 
and then, you know, realized this was a mistake and got up and excused himself or they had a completely innocent talk about business or whatever. But don't pretend it didn't happen because the truth always comes out. Sometimes it takes a while, but the truth always comes out. And then you're going to look like a liar and not just a liar, but a liar who has something to hide. And that's going to lead to more problems. Now, John, another story I want to talk to you about, like our guest host, co-host, Carmen Savi today, it's fair to say John Kiriakou likes the ladies, right? I do like the ladies. I have five kids. I just can't keep my hands to myself. Right. And and Carmine also likes the ladies and the ladies like Carmine. Very much. <laughs> but let me ask you this. If you were on a date with a woman and, you know, she's she's attractive and she knows a lot about politics and she says, suddenly says, let me start singing to you like Julie Andrews. And it's Nina Jangwa. She's married, but it couldn't be. But if you were on a date and someone started singing like Nina Jankowitz, what would you do? Would you pretend to like it, John? Uh, is this a first date? Yeah, first date. Uh, she says, no. hey, watch some TikTok videos I made. No, Could you pretend yeah. to like it? No, no. You know why, Lee? Because my first wife was a ballet instructor, and I friggin' hated ballet more than anything else in the entire world. And I put on a smiley face. I went to more ballet recitals than you could shake a stick at. And I promised myself that I would never, ever, ever look at ballet ever again. And, you know, I'm old enough now that if I was on a date and – and uh, Nina, what's her name? Nina Jankowitz. Her first name's Nina. Yeah. Yeah. Nina Jankowitz wanted to, wanted me to see her, her, you know, dinner theater performance on YouTube. I, I would have to say, listen, I'm sorry. You're very nice, but this just isn't going to work out. And Carmine, what, what would happen with you? Because again, she's using the eyes. There's no question about that. Forget her political opinions. Just on the basis, Carmine, of the TikTok video. I'm going to say this in terms that I can't get in trouble with with the FCC. It depends on what my intentions are with her. If my intentions are that I'm going to see her all night long, but I'm not going to see her tomorrow, right. I right. pretend to like. But if I'm looking to build a relationship, I'd be like, yeah, it's not really my thing. And it would probably that's a, that's make a me very honest answer to- right there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so it depends on my it depends on what my intentions are with this one. Now, judging by her politics, judging by her politics, chances are we're going to just hang out that night. Right. Right. And, and I also, like I guess, I got to say, her singing voice has been known to cause erectile dysfunction. It's been studies have shown. Try that. Try to everybody put on in the, TikTok everybody video. in the office, Lee. Last week, everybody in the office was gathered around Garland Nixon's cell phone watching that video. It was like a joke, like a caricature. Now, now, John, do you understand where this disinformation governance board? I, and I mean it. Do you do you actually understand what the hell it's supposed to do? I'm sure you've seen a lot of the Mayorkas quotes. I've seen them all. I don't have any idea what they're actually going to do. I, I wrote a piece about this for uh, for Bob Shear at Shear Post that I think is going to run tomorrow. Um, I don't think that that Nina Jankowicz knows what this stupid thing is supposed to do. I don't think 
Alejandro Mayorkas knows what it's supposed to do. I mean, if he does know, he didn't give a straight answer to Republican senators who questioned him in a Senate committee hearing uh, last week. And, you know, you've got a couple of, uh, of senators who are serious people like uh, like Lankford of, of Oklahoma and, and Romney of Utah, who said quite candidly, look, this is a stupid idea and you need to disband this. Even Democrats, even Democrats said, you know, how do you protect civil liberties with this thing? You don't even have a mission statement. You, you can't sit there with a straight face and tell us what this board is supposed to do. And it's got no uh, no statutory authority. So, no, I, I can't imagine that this thing has any legs at all. I, I can't imagine. It has zero congressional support. No, no, that's important to note. And even people like Romney, who aren't on usually the right side of things, when when Romney's one of the people saying, this is stupid, you need to yeah. cancel it. Yeah. Carmen, what say you? It's, I think it's unconstitutional. I Agreed. think somebody challenge it in court immediately. Well, there are twenty. There are twenty state attorneys general who already said that if this thing isn't disbanded in the next two weeks, they're going to file a federal suit, as they should. Well, that's good. That's good. Because yeah. this is this is absolutely George Orwell's Ministry of Truth. This absolutely, absolutely. This and then, and then so when Mayorkas says, "I'm sorry to interrupt you, Lee." Mayorkas says. In the beginning, well, you know, this is going to help us to keep Russian disinformation out of the news. And then they said, well, like, well, what kind of Russian disinformation are you talking about? And why is the Department of Homeland Security concerned about Russian disinformation? Shouldn't be shouldn't that be the CIA and the FBI and the National uh, Security Council? Here, here's the here's the scary part, too. You're talking about people that can now enforce speech who have weapons. They're hey, armed. Oh, that, that's a great point. That's a great point. Well, by the end of the hearing, it didn't have anything to do with Russian disinformation. It was all about human trafficking. And they said, well, how does this this uh, board uh, combat human trafficking? And he couldn't answer the question. So I don't see this thing lasting at all. No. And, and, and come on, even if let's say let's well, let me just let me just play devil's advocate. Let's pretend Joe Biden and his staff have the best of intentions, and they only mean this for the forces of good, which I think is nonsense, but let's pretend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What about three, four presidents down the line? Yeah, you're you're right. That's a good the point. The Democrats well, want to hand this power out. to Trump? Exactly let right. Me, I tried, let me offer a possible explanation for why it's in Department of Homeland Security. Okay? The Hunter Biden laptop story that Nijenkwitz famously said was Russian disinformation. That was her position. It's being investigated. John, do you know what Senate subcommittee is investigating the Hunter Biden allegations? None that I know of. No. They've issued a report, too. You can look it up. The Homeland Security subcommittee. Oh, boy. You know, 51 former senior high-ranking CIA officers also released an open letter um, that was published in uh, Politico saying that this that the Hunter Biden laptop uh, never belonged to Hunter Biden and that it had all the earmarks of a of a Russian intelligence disinformation plot. And then Hunter Biden comes out two weeks later and he's like, oh, uh, my bad. Uh, that's actually my computer. And, and the, I think it was four or five Former heads of the CIA signed that exactly letter as right. well. 
Exactly right. Yes. Do you know who it was offhand? Yeah. Um, Mike, uh, M- Mike Hayden and John McLaughlin and, uh, uh, oh man, they're, their names. I wish I had it in front in front of me. Uh, there were two former Moscow station chiefs. I mean, these were like heavy hitters, serious, high ranking CIA people who ought to have known better. And so you can look up the report that the Homeland Security Subcommittee, which has Ron Johnson on it, uh, released about that information was given to that subcommittee. And I, I think that explains, because it, it does seem weird. It seems weird to me that the Hunter Biden investigation is under Homeland Security, too. Does that seem odd at all? You know, it seems to me like the fix is in. If, if the Democrats were serious, as they want us to believe they are, they would be investigating this. There would be hearings about this. Now, Kevin McCarthy has already said that if the Republicans retake the House, there will be hearings about this in the House. But if the Democrats want to get ahead of this thing and do the right thing, the Democrats would be having hearings, and they're not. Well, John, great appearance. We're about out of time. Carmine, any last words? Uh, great decision by the Supreme Court. I hope they stick to their guns. Yeah, and, and how do you feel about the people outside uh, Kavanaugh's house today and outside Lee's house the other day? Carmine, give, give 10 seconds on that. Insurrectionists. Let's form a committee and prosecute them. Because <laughs> this is against federal law to do what they're doing. But it's also great. It, it's also bad form, right? John, you're 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 opposed to that, right? Oh yeah, I'm opposed, hundred percent. John Kiriakou, thanks. The show's political misfits. John's the co-host of it. Miss Michelle Whitty, noon to two, right here on Radio Sputnik. Carmen Sabia was our guest co-host for today, and we want to thank. Elijah Monnier in the first hour. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.